Welcome to the Two Melbourne Mums podcast. We are your co-hosts, Chelsea and Holly, and we're here to talk you through all things motherhood, mindset, and all the madness in between. Before we start, a small disclaimer. We will be having real, raw, and authentic conversations about our own personal experiences, and in no way are we experts on the topics we discuss. If you are seeking expert advice, we would always encourage you to see a professional. We also sometimes have no filter. So if you're listening to this around your babies, you've been warned. If you are loving listening, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share to your socials. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or topics you'd like to hear more about. So don't be afraid to send us a message on Instagram at Two Melbourne Mums Podcast. Let's get into the episode. Welcome back to the Two Melbourne Mums Podcast. We know we have talked your ears off way too much. But we are now going to take you through the next part of the episode. Stay tuned and thanks for listening. So what were your sleeping arrangements when you came home from hospital and in that fourth trimester? If you were getting any sleep, that is. Yeah. So look, I think um, Mia wasn't ever like a really unsettled baby. I mean, we obviously had our moments, but as I said, we had the bassinet, which was one of the co-sleeper ones. So that was either next to me on the side of the bed. Yeah. Or at one point with the little zip down, if that makes sense. But then uh, what I found with that was that it was really hard uh, because the bed, uh, it's kind of hard to explain, but like my side of the bed is near the window. Yep. And so the bassinet would be quite a tight squeeze between the bed and the window. So if I wanted to get out of bed, I would have to like maneuver myself down to the end of the bed Uh and hop out like at the bottom of the bassinet. Yeah. So that was kind of hard when I needed to get her, like I need to pick her up and take her out or something. Like I just, it it was really tricky. So I ended up just zipping up that little co-sleeper part and putting her at the end of the bed, but still in our room. Anyway, for the first couple of weeks, that worked really great, really fine. Still in her sleepy newborn phase. And then she decided that, what the fuck, I hate this bassinet. I'm only (laughs) sleeping in it during the day. You try and put me down at night. You're joking. So I actually ended up co-sleeping with her for the first uh, probably six weeks. Yep. Uh, And that was purely so all of us got some sleep. Yeah, because she would last 45 minutes in the bassinet before waking up and then she would cry. And so I was like, no. So I had her in the bed with me uh, and I just followed the red nose safe co-sleeping guidelines. Um, And I had her, so she was never in between Jake and I. She was on my side and I just had no pillows near her. Um, I had kind of wrapped myself around her like a, like a C yep. with my legs and my body. Uh, and I was petrified at the start. Holy shit. I'm going to yeah. squash her. But it was, it's like my, it's like my body knew that she was there and I don't think I moved. Like I was rock hard kind yeah. of thing. But then we would get, you know, three to four hour stints of sleep. And yeah. to me, I was like, this is great. Yeah. Like even though I was still waking three times a yeah. night, but that's, you know, pretty standard. Um, But then I, you know, got to the point where I was like, well, I don't want it to get to a stage where that's all she knows. And Mm -hmm. then it's so much harder for her and us to transition her to her own space. Yeah. So my cousin said to me at my sister's engagement party, babe, take the snoo. She has a snoo. 
honestly, I'm not using it. Like, please, like, just try it. Like, I can bring it down to you. And I was like, okay, I'll try it. And so she brought it down to me when Mia was about five and a half weeks, six weeks old. Yeah. And popped her in it. And the first time I saw her in it, for those of you who haven't seen what a snoo looks like, they get strapped down. So they're swaddled, but they're connected um, to the actual bassinet itself because it rocks them. Yeah. So, and it won't actually rock them or turn on unless the sack is engaged, that calls it. Yeah. Like the sacks, um, sounds weird. Um, is your sack engaged? Yeah. So, or the clips are not engaged, it says on the app, because it's all kind of done through the app. Yeah. Um, but you strap them down. It looked like she was in a, like a, um, like straight a straight jacket. jacket. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't get over it. But, Anyway, at the start, she was like, what is this thing? Like, seriously, get me out of it. But my cousin was like, seriously, just persist. Like, honestly, she will love it. Yeah. And she did. She loved it. Yeah. Uh, and it got us some really good blocks of sleep. Like, I'm talking it's talking so like six, seven hour blocks yeah. um, where she was then maybe only waking twice a night. That's fantastic. Um, at that kind of early age. And at that stage, like early on, if it works, it bloody works. Like, That's right. Don't question it. <laughs> exactly. And then, um, yeah, she stayed in the snoo until she was about six months old and then transitioned yeah. to the cot. Um, I think what you touched on there um, as well with the fear of like, is this going to create bad habits or, you know, what about later on? There's a lot of that, um, I guess yeah fear or fear mongering of yeah but do i want this i think in those i feel like in that fourth trimester for me at least it was a matter of don't even think about future this is all they've known for the last nine months is you and the womb and i feel like it's um safest to almost just say you know what we're gonna do what works for now and we're gonna worry about future things later in that first three months you know there's i don't and if you look at sleep training all that stuff no one will do sleep training they don't recommend it sleep trainers won't work with you before three before that four month mark because it's not recommended correct and one thing i really took because i follow a few pages on instagram one that i really love is baby sleep school yeah um and they say that um, they actually can't create those associations. Their brains aren't developed enough yeah. at that early stage to create bad sleep associations. Yes. But what you can do in those first three months without doing any formal sleep training is to set up good sleep foundations. Yes. Like dark rooms. Yeah. Um, white which, noise. White noise. Um, bedtime routines. Like yeah. all of those kind of things that you would then be consistent with for day naps and night sleep. Yes. Um, because uh, one thing they do say is that babies melatonin yeah. doesn't kick in themselves until they're about five or six weeks of age. Yeah. So until then, they've still got all your melatonin um, from when they were in the womb. Hence why they're so sleepy and can sleep anywhere. it's bliss right don't you reckon when that changes or you know when they come out of that you're just like oh my god what just happened yeah and so i actually bought um because mia's room is quite light i actually bought uh their blockout blind their portable blockout blind and it's fantastic because it's got um 
little uh, suction caps, but it's yes. also got Velcro. So depending, you can maneuver it to fit any window size. Ah. And Mia's window is like an arch shape. It's really odd. It's not. <laughs> so like Jake has done the best job he can. There's still a few tiny cracks here and there yeah. to get some light in on a really sunny day. But um, like if it didn't have the Velcro and all the suction caps, it yep. just wouldn't have worked. But, there you go. Yeah. And you could take that on staycations with you can you, and, you? and yeah. jake said oh we should have taken it down to dramana yeah and i said do you know how hard that was to put up in that tiny little arch window <laughs> do you really want to remove it and put it back up again he's like yeah maybe not you need a second set. you need a second one yeah so, yeah um what about you what were your sleep arrangements um yeah as i was saying that that first three months you just have to i feel like you have to lower your expectations as yeah. well um for any type of sleep like like we were talking about in birth stories, I just went in with like, right, my expectation is down here. Anything better than that is fantastic. Um, but the setup we had going was I borrowed a bedside bassinet, like you were talking about, like a, um, what do they call them? Co-sleeper. Co-sleeper. Yeah. So one that was beside the bed. I never put the um, zip down either to have it next to the bed. I had luckily had enough space between my bed and the window to have a gap where I could get out of bed. Um, otherwise I probably would have done the same thing and had the, the bassinet at the end of the bed. So she was pretty happy in that. Um, and I felt comfortable having her there next to me, knowing what was, you know, that I could see her, but they, you know, I don't know if Mia was noisy, but, um, you know, every single little noise or squeak they make in those first few weeks, you just immediately like up and, Oh God, are they okay? And are they breathing? And, um, oh, even when, you know, they were napping in the pram and that sort of thing. I don't know if you were the same or you remember, but I would always just sort of put my hand on her chest. Like, same. And sometimes oh. I would, I would set off her startle reflex <laughs> and I miss that. Like the whole arms, like, <laughs> <laughs> I would like, yeah, just the constant new mum. like, oh, are they breathing? Oh, they look very young. You know, yes, because they were in that deep sleep. They were in active. Yes. And do you remember the active sleep when, oh. like, their eyes would go and they do their little smiles? Yes. And oh, I it's miss all of that. They make that makes me want to have another one, but I don't <laughs> want another one just yet. But no. that makes me want to have another one. I'm like, no, that's so cute. Oh, it was yeah, crazy. When crazy. did Rubes transition to her own room? So. We did the co-sleeper bassinet um, up until four months. So yeah. it is recommended, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, to be in the same room as you to at least six months, if not 12 months. Yes, I think you're right. Personally, I cannot imagine having rooms in our room now. She's standing up in the cot. Like, <laughs> like she wouldn't have fit in the co-sleeper up until six months, I don't believe. Um, and we, so we started off, I think doing swaddles. She was pretty happy in a swaddle, like a muslin wrap. Cause it was summer. Like, you know, you couldn't have it too hot. Um, and then we ended up moving to, we tried some love to dreams and then we ended up moving to ergo pouches. So she had her arms in the ergo pouches and she seemed to be pretty happy in them. Um, but she actually started showing signs of rolling quite early at like three and a half to four months. So I, she didn't end up rolling until I think, I think, oh, I can't even remember now. How about that? Like five and a half months, maybe six months. Um, but I just went, right, I'm going to 
paranoid new mum, like, oh my God, if she rolls in her sleep, you know, I, I don't want to wake up to her rolled over. So I ended up taking her arms out. I started off slowly one at a time. And I think after the first two days, I just went, you know what, let's just put both arms out and deal with it while it's still crap. Um, and so that's how we sort of transitioned to the arms out. And then shortly after that, I'd spoken to a couple of other moms who had transitioned their bubs out of their room, um, or had even had them in their own room from birth. And I started thinking more about it. She was quite noisy. Will was going to work at like five in the morning. And I feel like that was causing early wakings because she was quite sensitive to that noise, like an alarm going off. Um, and I just felt like we were all round going to get better sleeps if she was in her room. Her room is like right next to ours. I felt comfortable enough that, um, that, you know, she was close enough. I could hear her. We had her up on the monitor, that sort of thing. And that was hundred percent the best decision we made. Yeah. We moved Mia out at nine weeks old. Wow. Yeah. And that was because, um, one, she was a grunter. Yeah. And the snoot also makes, it doesn't, it's not loud, but you can hear almost like the motion. Yeah. Like making noise. Uh, it's like, kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, so that was one reason to move her in, but also because I really wanted to try and set up those really good sleeping foundations for her day naps. Yeah. Because I was finding that she wasn't really sleeping during the day because it was too bright in our room. Even with all the, sh- the blinds and curtains closed, there was yeah. still a lot of light coming through. So I wanted to be able to set up the room. So it was dark yeah. and I didn't actually want to, I don't know if this sounds selfish, but I didn't want to do that to our room. Like I was kind of wanting our room back. Yeah. I had that feeling too. I felt like I didn't. Um, so like we'd put her down at night and sometimes she wouldn't like, we often wouldn't get her to sleep till like 10 PM. Yeah. And that's fairly normal for newborns from yeah. what I know. Um, but then I felt like, Oh, now we can't go into our bedroom. Yeah. You have to tiptoe around. Yeah. And I like to, uh, read a book and obviously that needs a light on, or sometimes we like to watch a bit of TV cause we've got TV in the room. Yeah. Uh, and I just felt like we never really had our full space back. So that was another reason why I moved her out. And honestly, she was totally fine. Yeah. Dad, in his role as a new dad in that first few weeks, how much time did Jake have off? So we had the school holidays. Oh, um, yes. And Mia came, so she was due on the 22nd, but she came on the 30th of Jan. Now, school started back the Friday before she came, which is an odd time for school to start. Wouldn't you think you'd just make it? But no, yeah. they never do. <laughs> anyway, so the very first day of term was that Friday, the 27th, I think it was. Yeah. And Jake had originally said, well, I'll take my family leave then, like my parental leave, um, and so I won't come back. But because she hadn't come, he was like, well, why would I start it if she hasn't come yet? Because then that's just eating into the time that I can spend with you and her. So we actually went to work on that Friday, (laughs) uh, and then she ended up coming the Monday. So he got 20, what did he get? 20 days of uh like parental leave with the department so he'd already had the six weeks of school holidays yeah he went back for one day and then he had 20 days that he could take yeah 
um, which he had to take within the first six weeks of the birth. Okay. So he took, I think, I think he did it like a staggered, like he took like the first two weeks, I think, fully off. Yeah. And then I think the third week he kind of went back a couple of days or whatever it was. He kind of like extended it out. That's good. They were flexible. Yeah. But the, so the first week he went back full time was like week six or seven of the term or something. So he'd already had that big six week block and then he had another equivalent to four weeks yeah. after that kind of Amazing. thing. So he had that off. Uh, he, I think, found that really good to have that time because I think is the government one only two weeks. Two weeks, yeah. yeah. So I think he found it good that he could be a bit flexible with what that that arrangement looked like mm. for him. In terms of, I guess, how he felt. I mean, I obviously can't talk for him, but I think he. Like, he was so helpful for me. Like, just him being there, just another pair of hands. Yeah. I mean, he was he is absolutely smitten with Mia. Um, she's such a daddy's girl. Girl dads. Yeah, girl dads, <laughs> right? They um, rock it. They do. And, yeah, so I think he's, he just wanted to make sure that I was okay and resting because he knew that if I was doing okay, yeah. then Mia was doing okay. Yeah, um, So, yeah, what about Will? He, so again, like over holidays, so he had some forced leave anyway over that Christmas period. Most trade, shut, site, trade sites shut down. Um, so I think he had until the 8th of Jan off anyway. Um, and then he decided that he would take an additional two or three weeks after that of like unpaid leave or like part of it was um, government leave anyway. And that was to have him for that full four weeks um, was amazing. Like, I mean, I don't know about you, but after that two week period, you're still finding your feet. I mean, you're still finding your feet constantly, always. I'm still finding my feet now. Yeah. But yeah, that, that first two weeks, I don't think I had an outing with Rubes on my own until the end of week two, mm-hmm. um, which I mean is still like, that's pretty early as well. Like, but I think I wanted to do that personally while Will was still around so that if it all went to crap, it was like an SOS emergency kind of thing. I mean, what, you know, what could possibly go wrong, but just to have that comfort of knowing he's at home, I can call him if mm. I need, but yeah, leaving the house on your own with a baby at two weeks old is, is pretty wild. So that's certainly not um, an expectation, you know, that you'd have to have for yourself, but. Jake and I went to Eastland two days after. You said this? How did you do that? I don't know. I, I think like in the moment I was like, yeah, I feel good. And then after an hour of walking around, oh, I was knackered and I felt like shit. Oh my God. <laughs> so I don't no, think I my wouldn't... ass left the couch for at least four days. <laughs> yeah. So no, I wouldn't not be doing that next time. <laughs> One thing I, I will say, I think sometimes Jake felt a bit useless when it came to the feeding. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I remember there was one time we went out um i don't know i I cannot remember if i've said these stories or not already but i went out because i need to get my tire fixed no and uh this was i should have been a uh, 
three weeks old or something and I didn't have any expressed breast milk, but I'm like, it's all good. She's asleep. She won't wake up. <laughs> she woke up. <laughs> Jake's like, can you hurry up? Because like he sent me a photo of her and her face was just like, like she was oh my hungry. God. And that was actually what prompted me to, I always wanted to mix feed, okay. but that's what prompted me to go and get a tin of formula just to have there yeah. just in case I wasn't around or my, you know, something happened that there was formula that we could at least back up with. Yeah. I swear to God, they know the minute you leave the house, like, cause we were exclusively breastfed. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think I tried to go down to the shops maybe week two or something just on my own. I was like, I'll just sneak down for 10 minutes. Like I'll just, I just need to get out of the house. Of course, five minutes in, we was like, Oh my God, she's losing it. Like I, you need to come home. <laughs> Yeah. And they're cluster feeding and, you know, you just, oh God. Yeah. There's no predictability at yeah. that stage is there. Yeah. And like car rides anywhere are hard because I just feel like if you, you can't time anything, there's no way to time anything well, basically. So true. So you were saying you wanted, you knew you wanted to mix feed. Mm. At what stage did you introduce a bottle? Uh, so when did we introduce a bottle? Uh, I actually think it was really early on because I was trying to top her up with any express breast milk that I expressed because she was struggling to latch. Yeah. So she was still hungry. I'd express some from like the other boob, let's say that we could then top her up with. Anyway, she didn't end up really needing that, but it was kind of there as an option. So we introduced the bottle like within the first few weeks. Okay. Yeah. And then she, she had no issues taking it. Yeah. Like, I mean, we didn't do it consistently because my, I guess I didn't want her to get so used to doing it from the bottle that then she was like, nah, stuff you, that's hard. Why should I have to work hard for the boob when I get it so easily from the bottle? So we only did it if we really had to. Yeah. Uh, but she, yeah, she, and she was never fussy with bottles. I mean, I've only really had her on the Tommy Tippy ones because that's kind of what we had in the house. Yeah. Um, and I know there's others that, uh, you know, um, healthcare providers recommend and whatnot, but she's always liked the Tommy Tippy ones and she has the Tommy Tippy ones these days now Easy. and no issues. So, yeah. Yeah, always kind of taken to a bottle, which has been good. And you, like, obviously you started it quite early on. Yeah. Rubes. So my plan was to exclusively breastfeed. And I did think about introducing the bottle as like a backup, but I didn't, I didn't want, I had some maybe preconceived ideas about it potentially interfering with breastfeeding or like bottle nipple confusion, that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, so I made the decision that we wouldn't introduce it until sort of after eight weeks when we'd really establish a good, um, I'd establish a good milk supply and our feeding was going well and that sort of thing. In hindsight now, knowing what I know now, I probably would have introduced it earlier. Uh, I think after sort of speaking to a lactation consultant, um, for another thing actually, but she did say that before eight weeks, the sucking is in an involuntary action. So they will suck automatically. However, after that eight week period, it's a voluntary action. So they will choose to suck or not. Um, I think when we actually tried a bottle of ribs was about 12 weeks old Mm. and we tried for probably 
three months and she would just scream, absolutely lose it. She did not want a bar of it. We tried literally everything under the sun and when I would tell people about it, it's like everyone wants to be helpful and I get that. Um, and it's hard, you know, you can't tell people without them offering advice. And I appreciate everyone's input. Everyone's like, have you tried this? Have you tried this? And I'm like, when I say we have tried everything, we have literally tried everything. Yeah. Like, we've, yeah, everything under the sun. So she, funnily enough, um, I think at about, she started taking a sippy cup really early. So we started that at about six months. Um, and she's actually now taken milk from a sippy cup for about the last three months I'd say um and funnily enough took is now taking a bottle sometimes as well a tummy tippy too funnily um but yeah the sippy cup just worked for us it got to the point where yeah the bottle was more stressed than it was worth trying to do that uh and yeah now she will take the sippy cup if ever need be so that's great yeah yeah I have heard that it's like somebody said to me uh, if you want them to be able to take a bottle, um, you should do. You should introduce it within their first forty days of life. Yeah, and that probably coincides yeah. with the eight week thing that you just yeah. said. And, so. and yeah, as I said, in hindsight, I would definitely do that for potential next baby. But again, you don't know necessarily know all that stuff until you're no, in it, and you there's don't. always going to be things where you go, oh, "I wish I did that," or "I should have done that," or "I'll do that next time." Correct. And and look, who knows if the outcome would have been any different anyway? Like I think knowing what I know now it probably would have but mm. yeah you roll with it and you make do and you work it out for so. sure speaking of lactation consultants did you see any specialists or doctors within um the fourth trimester we luckily Touchwood didn't have any like sickness or anything like that Rubes actually hasn't really been sick um we've been pretty lucky so I did actually book in and see a lactation consultant I'm trying to remember what week it was now, maybe eight weeks ish. I had a suspicion that she might've had a tongue tie um, or a lip, was it a lip tie, a lip tie, which is where if you sort of lift up, they have um, a joint piece of skin. I don't know what you'd call it between their, almost between their like teeth and their top of their mouth, which I, I felt like she had a really shallow latch. There wasn't really any other indicators or signs, um, that there was anything wrong. Like she was still putting on weight, you know, everything was sort of progressing as normal, but I did feel like there were some small things, um, where she would sort of pull off the breast or yeah, I can't even remember the reasons now why, but you know, there was a few things that concerned me. So I just wanted that reassurance. Went and saw a lactation consultant. She did a really thorough examination. Um, I'd also heard things that tongue or lip ties can cause effects later down the track. So I just wanted to put my mind at ease. Um, so she did an examination. She did say she had a high palate, like the roof of her mouth was quite high, which oh. could affect her sucking of a bottle. So she recommended like a particular type of bottle, which again, still didn't work. But, um, at that point in time, I hadn't decided to introduce the bottle anyway. Uh, but yeah, no, the lip tie wasn't a concern. She said, yeah, like it's slightly, but it's not anything that would interfere or cause any issues down the track. I think she called sort of almost myth busted my concerns in that sense. Um, but yeah, the only other sort of doctorish thing we had was she actually <laughs> randomly slept through the night one night like really early on early days 
And when I woke up in the morning, I was like in an absolute panic, like, oh my God, you know, I realized what time it was. Oh my God, is she okay? And immediately sort of leant over and she was quite drowsy. Um, and like, I couldn't really rouse her too well. And we'd been given the maternal child health hotline number, which is like a 24 seven number. And I thought, oh, I didn't, I didn't, I don't like calling nurse on call. I know they're a great service, but I feel like they always just tell you to go to emergency. And my gut feels was like, I don't think this is an emergency situation. So I rang maternal health hotline. The woman was fantastic. She, she could tell I was quite stressed and upset. Um, I had rubes on me. She like, I was trying to put her on my boob and she sort of was just kept falling back asleep after she just slept through the night. And she took me through a few steps and I think it was sort of like, okay, undress her, sort of um, get her cold and anyway, whatever the steps were. And she roused quite easily after going through that. And then she said, you know, we'll check on her and da, da, da. She spent probably half an hour on the phone with me. Anyway, it turns out Ruth was completely fine. Like there was no issues, but that service was incredible. Mm. Would highly recommend if you have any concerns, questions, especially in those early days um, when, you know, paranoia can be at its highest, call that hotline. If there is something that they think is of concern, they will direct you elsewhere. I called them the other day. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and um, that was over feeding amounts because as you know, I mean, we're going a bit off topic here, but as you know, uh, we're at the stages where we're introducing solids and bottles um, or boob. Uh, and for me, I found that a bit tricky in terms of knowing how much to give her or how much she should be having. Yeah. Um, and because she's by the bottle, I can tell how much she's having, you know, yeah. and, and sometimes I get a bit caught up in those numbers. But because she's been sick, I feel, you know, I'm like, oh, concerned that she's not having enough yeah so i called them the other day and said well can you tell me how much she should be having and they gave me a formula yeah and they said well she needs to be having 100 mil per her body weight okay and that's across 24 hours yeah whereas when they're a newborn that's 150 by their body weight yeah so ah it's different it's different because it reduces if you think about it of course yeah they don't yeah correct they do all a lot like Big majority of Correct. it going in so that first six months. So I was going months. off 150 by her body weight and I was like, she's not drinking nearly as much of that as that, <sighs> but it's actually a hundred per their body weight. And I'm sure it'll probably change. Yeah. So for me, actually six and a half kilos. So 650 mil is around about give or take yeah. what she should be having within a 24 hour period. Yeah. Um, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Always worth a call. Absolutely. Sure. For sure. Uh, did you, sorry, did you see any specialists or anything else during that first few months? No, I didn't. No, I didn't see any, either. apart from my doctor for the general six week checkup. Yeah. Maybe we'll go into that. Like, how did you find that six week uh, checkup? I found it pretty good. Like we've got a fairly good family doctor just down in Ringwood. Yeah. Um, and he was pretty thorough with her. Uh, in terms of checking everything and then same with me as well like checking over me and making sure that um, everything had healed properly and whatnot and I was really kind of just excited for the six-week checkup so I could get clearance to go back and exercise (laughs) so at the very end of it I said can I go back to the gym and he's like what are you going to be doing at the gym? I'm like, oh, just really light stuff. Like I'm not planning on going back. I really just, you know, want to start rebuilding my strength and core. And he's like, yeah, as long as it's light, you can go back to the gym. And I was like, 
yes, party. <laughs> so, yeah, how did you find yours? I, unfortunately, because we've just moved to the area, I don't have or didn't have a GP that I knew very well or that I had a connection with. So I did just book in with the GP that had been recommended to me. Um, look, I, I don't know. Is the six-week checkup, like, compulsory? I don't know. Like, I mean, I had to book it myself. So I imagine if you just didn't book it, no one would follow you up, yeah? I would think so, yeah. I would think so. I didn't find it very useful or helpful because um, I'd already had like my scar and stitches checked. Um, I knew that that was all going okay. Like that, I mean, at six weeks, I still um, very much felt, you know, that, that scar and stitching and things. I mean, obviously the stitches had come out, but I still was quite sensitive. Um, she, the doctor did check. She asked, do you want me to check your scar? And I was kind of like, well, yeah. Cause why else am I here? <laughs> so she checked that. That was all fine. I actually can't even remember what she did to Rubes, like what, what she checked, um, for her, but I don't feel like it was very thorough for us personally. Um, she did the whole like postpartum depression, um, questions, checking in that I'm feeling mentally okay the other question i had was um going back to sex Mm. and she sort of didn't even speak about that specifically which i mean i guess you know unless you ask but she did bring up contraception as well um and was sort of pushing like okay what are you gonna do for contraception (laughs) and at that point i hadn't thought about it and I personally didn't want to go on the pill or anything. And she ended up writing me a script for the pill anyway, which I never fulfilled, but I felt like she was quite pushy on that. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. See, that's another thing that grinds my gears a little bit. Like I get that they're obviously, you know, medical practitioners and want people to be safe, but why does it have to be the female that goes on the contraception? Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like I get, you know, obviously there's more risk if you were to fall pregnant that quickly, there's more risk to you. There's more risk to your unborn baby. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, I hate, I I just, (laughs) yeah. So speaking of like your pelvic floor appointments. Yes. um, And needing to see a pelvic floor special physio. Yeah. Um, tell us about that. I was the same as you. I was keen to get back into exercise or slowly. I knew that I needed to have a bit of a plan and take it easy. Um, I didn't, like I said, I felt like the GP wasn't very thorough. And I said to her, can I go back to exercise? And she was like, yeah, I didn't feel like that was enough for me. Um, and I, decided to go see the pelvic physio who was actually recommended by the maternal child health nurse. Did you go to one in Croydon? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard such good things pelvic about them. Pelvic strength physio. Yeah. We'll tag them in the show notes. Um, and I saw a woman there, Alex, her name was, she was fantastic. And she talked me through, she has a little like, um, the model, model figurine of the pelvis and da da da. And she was sort of explaining how everything starts moving back and, you know, uterus starts going back and, um, there's some us in medical terms, there's some part that doesn't even start or properly go back until like 16 weeks postpartum. But it turned out in the end that I had a very mild uteral prolapse. Mm. Um, this probably, I think I had my first appointment at maybe six or seven weeks. And then 
I wasn't even until maybe eight weeks when I went back for a follow-up that she discovered or had realized that I had that prolapse or it wasn't present maybe until that point. And that's, I started feeling like heaviness um, at the end of the day, or I'd get up from the toilet, like going to wee. And then I'd feel like I'd need to wee again. Mm. Um, I had a few really small bladder leakages when I was sort of out and about. And I think I was, I was still wearing like the super duper maxi pads at this point. So it wasn't a huge deal, but um, I was doing like the Kegels and she gave me a few like physio exercises to start trying to get um, like core strength back, which I know you've spoken about being a huge thing in terms of trying to get that core strength back. So I was doing those. Um, and in the end she recommended a, what's called a pessary. So I had a pessary ring fitted, which you pretty much put in like a tampon. Um, and it's almost like a big, bungee that holds up Mm -hmm. the usual prolapse basically um and i needed to wear that for exercise um particularly you have to do it yourself did you have to yep yeah so you insert it and then you take it out again so yeah (laughs) look it's not the greatest most lovely process your exercise tampon yeah (laughs) terrible we'll call it a pussy (laughs) ring So every time I'd like be going out for a walk or going to do exercise, he's like, cause I asked him to remind me to put it in. Cause it's like just another thing to add to the fucking list of things to remember. It's like, Holly, have you got your pussy ring in? <laughs> Thanks babe. Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, but anyway, in good news, I went back to the public physio two weeks ago and had a checkup and my prolapse has been resolved amazing that's how so good. good is that i actually thought i would have to have the pessary for like at least 12 months or you know that it may never actually fully resolve and it's just sort of a maintenance thing but um yeah she had a feel around and she was like yeah no you don't have a prolapse anymore so great goes to show worthwhile getting that checked because not knowing is not better in terms of Yes, it can be a bit invasive um, and it, it, you know, it can be scary to actually find out what's really going on down there. But the effects of not knowing and that going on for years and years and years and then realizing there's a prolapse, the journey back from that is yeah. far worse. I never went to see a like a phys- oh. I wish I did. I should have because I don't even know what my ab separation was. Do you know what yours was? I like think in it was terms about centimeters? two and a half centimeters. So that's not too bad. To three. Okay, uh, I definitely had some, I know for sure, because when I felt, when I was trying to like feel for it myself, I could feel it was deeper under my belly button. Yeah. So I definitely had something. Uh, I don't know how much, but that's one thing I wish um, yeah. I found out. I mean, I'm sure I could still book an appointment and get everything checked out yeah. anyway, just to see where things are at. But... Yeah, I never went to see. I guess the other thing is if you're not having any symptoms or, you know, there's nothing yeah. ongoing that's of concern, then, like, it's not a huge deal. But if there's, yeah, there's things that you're going, oh, I just don't know if this is quite right or yeah. I'm feeling this particular way or whatever um, for peace of mind. Yeah, which there's not. Like, obviously, yeah. my core feels weaker. Um, it doesn't feel as weak as it obviously did now. I've been doing a lot of work to make sure that yeah. um, that stays or that starts to repair because it's actually, uh, I'm going to butcher this, but it's, I think it's called the linear alba. 
um, which the line. Is, yeah. Yep. So like the muscle within that. So even though you have ab separation, there's still a muscle that runs underneath that. Yeah. I think it's called the linear alba. I could be wrong, but it's about strengthening that muscle so that everything okay. can kind of come back and strengthen together. And hold together. Hence why you would do certain exercises to try to like, you yep. know, like your bird dogs and stuff like, so from three weeks postpartum, I was just doing really basic Core yeah. exercises that and, and breathing exercises and squeezing my pelvic floor and all yep. that kind of stuff um, before I then went back to the gym. But even when I went back to the gym at seven weeks postpartum, I didn't pick up a dumbbell that was heavier than two kilos. Yeah. And I was still doing a lot of that floor work, but at the gym. Yeah. Because I wanted to feel like I was back in that environment. You're in that space. I didn't like actually do proper machine workouts until I was five months postpartum yeah i think yeah so like said from seven weeks postpartum all the way to five months i still went to the gym three times a week yeah but i was just focusing on completely looked different, a whole lot different because i knew that if i rushed into it i would do damage i knew i would and i didn't want to do that i'd yeah. already gone so long not being able to do my proper exercise and for someone yeah. that fitness and gym is such a huge part of my lifestyle i mean i was there six days a week for two hours at a time when i was doing comp prep yeah um i wanted to make sure that i did it right yeah because and that's yeah. you've got to put aside your ego don't you and just you go actually i need to i've got someone at home that completely relies on me i cannot go and injure myself and our self-care and sanity is going to the gym therefore i need to do it properly and do it right and i was excited to kind of like become like a beginner again yeah because i've been training so hard for so long that i felt like i'd almost reached a point where i was like god how much like seriously how can i progress like i knew i actually needed to take a few steps back yeah to be able to start progressing again yeah and i'm still not at the strength i was at you know pre-pregnancy yeah but I definitely am starting to feel stronger and I'm actually loving my workouts now. I'm yeah. so excited to get up. Like tomorrow morning, I Jake's got to leave home by 6.30. I've got to be home by 6. So I'll wake up at quarter past four and yeah. head there. I'll see you there. Yeah. Hopefully. Oh, amazing. <laughs> um, but like, I'm so excited. Like, I'm like, yes, I can't wait. Cause it's the last week of, I do my training blocks in four week blocks. And yeah. this week is my final week of this training block. So I know that this is my week to push hard. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm keen. Like I'm ready. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway. So good. Yeah. It's a, it's a huge progression. I, and it's similar, similarly, <laughs> similarly, <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. I did not go back to running until I think, trying to remember now it was between 12 and six maybe 16 weeks postpartum i think sounds more like it um because running is so intense on your body and even then i didn't go back to just running a 5k like i would run a 2k or you know it'd be really slow and then i'd sort of build up and i i remember that first run i went on and it felt bloody awesome to just get out there but i literally took off all the pressure and just said right this is there is no goal here. It is just to get out and get started again. Yeah. Um, Honor the season you're in. 100%. Yeah. I love it. On a last note, tips or hacks for keeping your baby happy in the car? Was Mia a car girl? Yeah, she's always been a car always girl. Always been a car I've girl. I've never had to really keep her happy. Um, although one time she had been, because we've got, in my car, we've got a capsule that I can just take yep. out, put on the pram and then put back in. Jake's car, we've got a car seat. 
Um, one time I had her in the capsule with mum, we went to Eastland, I took her out, had her in the capsule still, we walked around Eastland for a couple of hours and I put her back into the car in the capsule. Yeah. And I know, I think you're only meant to have them in there for two hours, so all you critics, don't listen to that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, she was so over just being strapped in this thing, yeah. like fair enough, that on the way home she just started screaming, lost she lost it. My mum had to get in the back with her and I don't know if anyone listening, actually there will be people listening that know this, but the dancing fruit on YouTube, (laughs) my mum put the dancing fruit on her phone and just held it up there and she went silent. Mesmerized. And I was just like, okay, we do what we got to do. But apart from that, she's always been a pretty happy car girl. She goes to sleep. She's at the point now where she knows that she can see me in the mirror because yes. we've got one of the rear-facing mirrors. So, like, I'll look back at her and go, hello, and she'll go, ah, and just, like, <laughs> smile and grin at me like she's it's, like, grin. the best thing ever. That's so good. Um, so she's always been a pretty happy car girl. What about Ruby? She Look, Rubes has been pretty good from day dot. Um, she will happily have a sleep if she's due for one. Um a couple of things that I think are helpful or helped us is definitely the rear facing mirror. Once they sort of get past that three month, four month point, I feel like they can see you or like see, yes, in that mirror, see themselves even. And it's just like something to keep them occupied. Um, we've always had a toy hanging from the like hook on the car door and that will often just keep her entertained. She often, I think in those earlier days, like, Stopping at any red light would just cause all hell to break loose. Did you not have that with Mia? It was fine at a red light? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes yeah. if she was a bit unsettled or she was trying to drift off to sleep and then we'd stop, Yeah. then sometimes she'd be like, yeah. huh, what is happening? You'd be like, oh my God, please don't let me stop at a red light. Please, <laughs> please let me go. <laughs> just be like at the red light revving like, oh, let's go. The Happy Song by Imogen Heap. Oh my God. This this song, I had a number of different mums from like different groups recommend this song to me. And I was probably like three weeks postpartum and it was sort of that peak of like, um, yeah, she'd, you know, be quite grizzly and upset and, you know, you'd try to be driving somewhere you'd have an appointment you'd have to go to. And it, it's like, it's hard to coordinate a newborn. Yeah. Between feeding and changing and whatever else. So, um, if she was upset in the car, I would put on this happy song and I swear this song is an absolute game changer um she would just immediately go silent like it's so funny i think it was a song oh i could be wrong it was like made by a child psychologist or something that's supposed to i don't know promote happiness anyway it keeps her happy and i reckon we use that song up until like we still use it now sometimes, yeah. but in the car, if all hell was breaking loose, it was the happy song to. on repeat, 100%. Highly recommend. And we did a few long car trips in those earlier days too. We drove back to where I was living rurally, which is a four-hour car drive. We um, went up to New South Wales when Rubes was about, oh, I think, four or five months old, which was like a seven-hour car ride. So... We, yeah, definitely knew the happy song quite well. Amazing. (laughs) All right. We have been going for quite a while. We have so much to say, obviously. But just finishing up on that one, is there anything you would change about the first 12 weeks of Ruby's life? Other than introducing a bottle a little bit earlier, definitely not. Yeah. 
I mean, the essence of it is that you don't know what you don't know at the time. And I think it's important to just embrace the choices and decisions you made when you were in it, because it's easy to look back and go, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. Now that I know this, I, you know, might've done this differently, but you weren't the same person you were when you were going through that. And you can't relive the emotions and the, you know, times you were going through when you were in it. So I think, yeah, no. We, we made it through the hard times, good times. And I think ultimately, like, you know, we're trying to remember our first nights at home and da, da, da. You just, it's, you forget the really tough stuff and all you remember is the amazing stuff really. Ultimately. No wonder you forget it because you're living in survival mode, you know, those, especially those first three weeks, I would say. And, um, for those of you who don't know what that means, it basically means that, uh, you are just doing what you need to do to survive. Essentially our brains are in, uh, I guess a capacity where we're not necessarily using our thinking brain or our logical brain is switched off because you are sleep deprived and your hormones are running wild. And so are your emotions. And so the part of your brain that's actually switched on is your emotional or your survival brain. So actually, I guess that's, that's a whole nother topic as well that we could <laughs> delve into. We're not going to now, but if that's something you guys would be interested in hearing, I'd be more than happy to sort of speak a little bit more about, um, I guess what's going on for us physi- physiologically, yep. um, at that time, because I guess that's kind of my wheelhouse, like that psychology and brain and whatnot so if you guys are keen to hear a little bit more about that and the functionality of why we're I guess why we're feeling that way I'd be more than happy to speak about that a little bit more um but I would definitely be the same as you I don't think I'd change anything apart from being kinder to myself probably in the moments uh and maybe we'll get into that in a little bit more depth when we talk about our um like mum identities yeah and how that's kind of shifted since having bubs because I definitely know there were some times um in those first few weeks where I questioned whether or not I'd even made the right choice of being a mum yeah because it was hard some nights um so I think I'd just be probably a little bit kinder to myself and not beat myself up so much yeah um that sounds like very sage advice yes (laughs) but apart from that everything's a learning curve and um like you said you don't know what you don't know and you're never going to grow and evolve as a person if you don't go through things um because you learn you learn everything it's all it's all part of um life evolution and reflection so I think my other probably most important piece of advice reflecting um and something that I think Will and I did well is having open communication um between particularly you and your partner but also your family and friends what I touched on earlier about communicating your boundaries Mm. um and just prepping and planning for you know, contingencies or, you know, if this happens, what are we going to do? If I'm feeling really flat or low or whatever, how are we going to help each other through those funks, um, all those stages. And I mean, that goes for dad too. Like, um, postpartum depression can happen to dads also. It's not just mums. Um, and like you said, they can feel pretty hopeless in those first few weeks. So communication goes both ways. Um, 
staying in touch with each other's emotions, I think is really important too. Yeah. Okay. To end our verbal journaling uh, segment. So this week was my choice of uh, journal prompt. Yes, verbal journal prompts. Uh, And because, like I said, it is my birthday on Sunday, we are in Libra season, Uh, I wanted to ask you a question uh, that kind of relates a little bit to classic Libras. Libras? Librans? What is the correct word? Librians? Librians. Oh my God, I butchered it. Anyway, um, so for those that I guess aren't sort of into astrology or anything like that or signs... um, Libras are known for, I guess, being quite romantic. Jake will be like, lol, you are not a Libra. (laughs) (laughs) But my question to you is, how can you bring more harmony and love into your life this next fortnight? I had a think about this. Love languages. I don't think we've Mm, spoken about this before. But it's something that came up with Will and I before. And I'm trying to remember. I think it (laughs) cut... He'll kill me for this. I think his couple of a couple of his mates were saying or talking about their love language being affection. Yeah. And physical touch. Yeah. Yeah, physical touch. And he we immediately looked at each other and he's like, but obviously our love language is acts of service. Like he said it like not even a question. And I kind of went, Yeah. Like I hadn't thought about that, but it really is. Like, um, and look, we, we certainly appreciate physical touch and, and that's something that's important in our relationship. But yeah, we're so an acts of service couple. My way of showing love is feeding people um, and like doing things to help them. Like this morning I got up um, just before Will, uh, sorry, I went to the gym in the morning and when I came back was just before Will had got up and I was making myself a coffee. So I'd made him a coffee in a takeaway cup and I got out his lunch out of the fridge and put it in his lunchbox for him and was like, here you go, his lunch all ready to go for you. And like that for me is me showing love. Mm. Anyway, I've totally digressed, but, <laughs> um, me bringing more harmony and love into my life in the next fortnight, I think comes back to being in a bit of a like rough patch of sleep and stress. And for me, I think that looks like slowing down and taking the time to reconnect both physically and mentally. And Will and I do do this quite often where we'll sort of sit down or lay in bed and be like, let's just chat like what's on your mind Mm. um and it's funny like you don't realize like you have your lives together but you also have your lives separately yeah like he goes to work every day at the moment I'm home with Rubes and there's sort of this internal dialogue that goes on in your own head about what's going on in your life and your life together Mm. but you do you actually know whether your internal dialogue is matching up and Mm. you know all the things that you're stressing about you know are they thinking the same thing? So I think until you have time to lie down or sit down or whatever and have that communication, um, it's hard to properly connect or know whether you're actually yeah, connecting not the mind same readers. Level. No, yeah. not at all. We'd yeah. like to we'd love our partners to be mind readers, wouldn't we? But they're they're just not. So um, checking in with family and friends. Um, and I want to plan and schedule a date night for Will and I, which is something that we haven't properly done in a while. And like, that might not be a date night out and about. Um, but like sometimes 
in the past, like I've messaged him and been like, right tonight, um, I owe you a massage or, you know, tonight I'm going to have, we're having candlelit dinner once baby goes to bed or something like that. So I think I'm going to plan something a little special. That's nice. Yeah. Amazing. What about you? I think taking, um, more mindful moments to be grateful for what I have kind of thing. I think I get really caught up still with trying to reach for the next best thing, whatever that is. Like I accomplish a goal and I'm straight away like, right, what's next? Um, and I forget to sort of just be present and go once upon a time you wished for what you have now. Mm. And I, I don't do that very well. Yeah. So I think for me, it's, it's kind of remembering how far I've come and just sitting in that gratitude for that yeah but on the flip side of that also i guess communicating with my loved ones that i'm grateful for them too yeah so even maybe just like sending a random message to a girlfriend if they pop up in my head hey love you grateful for you thanks for being you kind yeah. of thing like sort of just making a real conscious effort to be reminding those around me that yeah i appreciate them and i'm thankful for them yeah i love that yeah i've been I, I can very much relate to what you've just said. Um, but something that I've been doing recently is I'll send a photo of Ruby individually to like my mom or um, my uncle or whoever it may be. And just be like, Hey Ruby, Ruby says happy Tuesday or whatever it is. Um, as opposed to like just sending a photo in the group chat, like making that a bit more individualized and then sparking up a conversation. And I feel like that's really helped me connect yeah. With those family and friends that I may not have spoken to recently. So amazing. Right. Another part one, part two episode for you. <laughs> God, don't start us talking because we just don't bloody stop, do we? We don't. Until next time, may your naps be long and your coffee strong. See ya.